0: I will be discussing three news updates, but before I do, a programming note, the next Conservation Nation episode on my reports on Texas and their conservation practice will go live on Thursday. This is from my report last summer, almost a year ago, and you will, I think, find that very interesting. But here is what I have for you on these three stories. We're going to talk about President Biden invoking the Defense Production Act to boost the production of solar panels in wake of rising gas prices and what the implications of those are. I will read for you a little bit from my new Real Clear Policy article on what lead bans do to recreational fishing and hunting opportunities and whether or not the threat posed by lead is exaggerated or not. And we'll top it off with a story from my home state of California on how gas stove bans in new buildings can hurt your favorite ethnic restaurant, specifically Chinese and Korean restaurants. We're going to read for you from the L.A. Times what the concern is about this update. Let's dive into these three topics right now. A normal response to rising gas prices would be to look at home and to deduce maybe my policies with respect to President Biden are contributing to the economic malaise that is resulting in these high prices. Maybe I will look to my Department of Energy and see that we're sitting on millions, if not trillions, of cubic feet of oil and gas reserves and also natural gas reserves. But no, unfortunately, President Biden has shifted his priorities or has rather pivoted to pushing and streamlining clean energy production, especially in the name of solar panel production and lifting tariffs potentially on imports from China with respect to solar panel creation. And let's read for you what his executive order on this matter says. This came out yesterday. Fact sheet. President Biden takes bold executive action to spur domestic clean energy manufacturing. They claim that these are historic actions, including authorizing the Defense Production Act to lower energy costs, strengthen our power grid, and create good-paying jobs. Today's clean energy technologies are a critical part of the arsenal we must harness to lower energy costs for families, reduce risks to our power grid, and tackle the urgent crisis of a changing climate. We hear that buzzword again. From day one, President Biden has mobilized investment in these critical technologies. Thanks to his clean energy and climate agenda, last year marked the largest deployment of solar, wind, and batteries in the United States' history and our nation is now a magnet for investment in clean energy manufacturing. They claim that the private sector has committed over $100 billion in new private capital to make electric vehicles and batteries in the United States. Actually, that's to incentivize union shops, not woolly private shops. We have made historic investments in clean hydrogen, nuclear, and other Cutting-edge technologies and companies are investing billions to grow our new domestic offshore wind industry. We're also on track to triple domestic solar manufacturing capacity by 2024. The expansions to solar capacity announced since President Biden took office will grow the current base of 7.5 gigawatts by an additional 15 gigawatts. That would total 22.5 gigawatts by the end of his first term, enough to enable more than 3.3 million homes to switch to clean solar energy each year. Do you guys remember hearing the president's comments? I think we talked about it. He said that he was fine with pain at the pump because it'll be easier for a swift transition away from fossil fuels. Pretty callous and tone deaf, if you ask me. And he says, I'm totally unaware of what is happening with other issues with respect to the baby formula shortage that has nothing to do with this, but trying to draw a comparison. He claims that he's unaware, but his advisors are the ones who are encouraging him to pursue these policies with respect to energy. And if you recall from a previous episode I had, I talked about my examination into the latest book by Alex Epstein, and he aptly noted that solar capacity, much like rest, the rest of clean energy capacity, is very limited. It only accounts for 3% of energy production in the global space. And there are a lot of shortcomings to solar. Let's not talk about the land use concerns with that, how much in land and farm acres would take to build solar fields? And what happens when you decommission those solar fields? A lot of toxins are left over. And if it's supposed to be a cheaper technology, why are we subsidizing it? And why do our energy bills continue to increase when we're told this is going to be cheaper? Those are questions to keep in mind. But we're going to assess this more. I will be doing something at IWF to break down the invoking of the Defense Production Act, why it's actually not appropriate for spurring action to lower gas prices. He should look to the oil and gas leasing program. However, his interior department has said it is time to move away from that gradually, according to their report last winter, and they are going to increase the royalty rates. People want cheap oil and gas, and for the foreseeable future, people are still going to drive conventional gas-powered cars electric vehicles are very expensive compared to conventional gas-powered cars. It's upwards of fifty dollars to $60,000. A lower or medium income family cannot afford that expense. And so the fact that politicians, especially those on the left, are pushing, transition to EVs when it's not feasible to do so, and when it's also backed up by subsidies... Creates a disaster. So, that is what you have to be aware of. You may disagree entirely with my assessment, but I just don't think this is practical or wise. And it's going to create more displeasure by the American people towards this administration. That's what will result. And people will see that clean energy has a lot of shortcomings. I want to read for you my latest op ed at Real Clear Policy. And this is on an issue that has largely flown under the radar. This is about some prospective ban on lead tackle and lead ammunition with respect to recreational fishing and hunting, respectively. And I'm amazed that more people have not picked up on this, but I felt inclined to do so, so I will read for you from this. Fishing and hunting are cherished pastimes, enjoyed by millions each year, but a perennial effort to ban lead would make it harder for Americans to recreate on our public lands. Despite touting hook-and-bullet activities, the Biden administration is potentially settling with Center for Biological Diversity to undo the expansion of 2.2 million national wildlife refuge lands open to 2020 to new hunting and fishing opportunities. More troubling, the Fish and Wildlife Service may cede to the radical organization's demands to ban lead use under the guise of protecting endangered or threatened species. There's also a similar bill from Senator Tammy Duckworth, a Democrat from Illinois, that wants to also ban lead Tackle and bullets on Fish and Wildlife Service lands. I argue that with Americans finding refuge in the great outdoors, it's going to set these monumental gains back. I break down briefly, I want you all to read this. I assess whether or not lead is as toxic as it's made to be. I think what these anti lead proponents often do is they conflate solid lead with lead metallic components. Two very different things. And when you're assessing for metallic lead components, perhaps it's not as toxic and dangerous as critics of lead make it out to be. I talk about that. I cite some health studies that are often not included in this discussion. I also talk about a court case that says that lead tackle and bullet bans cannot be regulated or banned under the Toxic Substance Control Act. I also talk about the economic implications that stem from this. California has banned lead. It's led to And it could lead to lots of opportunities lost, people losing their jobs in the recreational fishing sector. They say in California that had this gone into effect, it could lead to 36% of license holders to stop hunting or reducing their participation altogether. Europe, there was also a poll commissioned on this too. Let's look to Europe in this case. Why not? They found that a study from last year said that if lead bans went into effect, they said That 25% of European hunters across 30 countries would stop hunting altogether if the ban was enacted. And I talk about how much these non-led alternatives would cost. It would break a lot of people's budgets. And most importantly, something I don't think that is honed often people forget the connection between conservation funding and excise taxes collected on guns, ammunition, and fishing tackle. 1.5 billion was hauled, a historic level amount was hauled last year because of people going to the field or on the water, namely from gun and ammunition purchases. You take that away from the equation, coupled with talks of gun control legislation that is coming. That is a recipe for disaster. So you can read that for yourself, make your own assessment. I tried to lay out the facts towards it and kind of underappreciated aspects towards this discussion, some of the dishonest claims made by anti-lead proponents and i think a takeaway from this is and 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 this is me the free market person speaking i think you can choose what is appropriate for your hunting and fishing excursions you want to go with non-lead alternatives you have the budget to incorporate it into your purchases go for it someone who wants to still lean on lead tackle and bullets let's let them have the choice to do so When people are processing their own meat, they will be mindful to look for metallic lead fragments. They're not going to just consume something where lead is left over. I think we have to give people the benefit of the doubt, especially those who care about the resources and go afield. I think they're going to care about what they consume, if there's leftover lead or not. And they're going to weigh this into account. And I don't think banning something is going to discourage use of it in the future. I think most prohibitions lead to black market behavior, black market purchases, and people wanting to get something that's prohibited. That's just human nature. So this is really kind of unfounded in terms of facts and science. And like I said, I think people should be left to their own devices to choose what accessories are best for their adventures. A final story. Let's talk about something. I think everyone loves food. And we're going to see more of this debate over whether or not to stay with conventional gas stoves versus adopting electric gas stove electric stoves, take hold outside of hunting and fishing. This is an environmental issue, and certainly we see California and major blue epicenters push this for many, many years. Not surprising to see this in my home state of California. But the LA Times has a very interesting article on this subject. The End of Korean Barbecue in L.A.? What the gas stove ban means for your favorite restaurants. The LA City Council passed a motion recently to, in effect, by 2023, ban most gas appliances in new residential and commercial construction in the city, citing their effort to combat climate change. LA County at large aims to achieve carbon neutrality, in their words, by 2045. The motion requires related city agencies to prepare an implementation plan for approval by the end of the year. They say, according to one councilman, council member Nithya Raman, that ultimately it's too early, and according to a statement, that it's ultimately too early to say what the impact on commercial kitchens would be, the statement added, and there have been 50 other cities and counties in California, including Oakland, Ojai, and Santa Clara, that have adopted similar ordinances, but industry voices are very much not in alignment with the city ordinance ban. Jot Condi, president of the California Restaurant Association, is quoted as saying, with the sheer number of restaurants in LA, this will have a massive impact on the future of the restaurant industry and how diverse cuisines are offered, they said. Without any specific exceptions outlined for restaurants in Los Angeles just yet, many chefs and restaurants that rely on gas to cook their food are expressing worries. The move could increase the cost of doing business and push some cooking techniques and many styles of cooking out of the city's new developments. The California Restaurant Association, I'm scrolling down here, which lobbies for California restaurant owners, attempted to block a 2019 phase-out of gas hookups in all newly constructed buildings and most residential buildings in Berkeley. The suit went on to argue that CRA members will be, quote, unable to prepare many of their specialties without natural gas and will lose speed and control over the manner and flavor of food preparation. Flame is critical for chefs to create their masterpieces, said Condi of the association members. It's like asking an artist to throw away all their small paintbrushes and start painting with a roller. Some restaurateurs featured are quoted as saying, Electricity just doesn't get to the high temperatures in a short period of time, and that's associated with the flavor of food. You can read more about that. And let's see a conclusion that I think many, many people. Should be mindful of. So let's see what another restaurateur, Lee said that running an all-electric kitchen would likely double his monthly expenses. There is an issue of purchasing new electric equipment and getting stuck with your existing stoves and ovens with little chance of reselling them on a secondary market full of other business owners making the transition to electric. It may be prohibitive for many restaurants, wrote Ning, and would discriminate against restaurants owned by people of color. And another restaurateur from a Chinese restaurants said that they estimate that cost of electricity to transition to electricity would be about $1,200 up from the $500 to $700 a month that is already paid on gas. This is certainly a battle that is not going to go away. And I think when people see that their favorite restaurants will be affected by this transition away from gas-powered stoves, like anything transitioning away from Gas powered cars to EVs. There's very much a pattern here. It's going to raise costs. It's going to make things a lot more cost prohibitive. So let's look at this case study from California, my homeland, and not replicate that. And I think people will think twice. It doesn't matter where you fall politically. If the cost of something goes up under the name of combating climate change or under the name of the environment, people are going to be less inclined to move away from conventional gas stove usage. Something to think about. So I want to know what your thoughts are on all these three topics, especially this stove story from the LA Times. Let me know and let me know if you'd like to hear more updates similar to this on the podcast going forward. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to us on your preferred podcast player. We recommend Apple Podcasts, where over 60% of our listenership hails from. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, which don't really populate. But follow us on social media to make sure you never miss a beat or a guest announcement. You can also find us on Cfax website under District of Conservation under my profile, Gabriella Hoffman, to catch up on all different past episodes there. If you like what you hear, be sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple or wherever podcasts are played. Share the links, leave your reviews, and tell your friends about the show. Thanks for listening today. Stay tuned for more District of Conservation episodes.